Welcome to our Meditation Service podcast. Each week we will have a different presentation, including different sutra chanting, different speakers, and different Dharma messages. Through this Meditation Service program, we will have both seated and standing meditation, sutra chanting, and a Dharma message. We hope that this Meditation Service podcast will enable the listener to experience meditation, to experience sutra chanting, and to listen to a Dharma message. In our Shin Buddhist tradition, we regard meditation as not a practice or as a means to try to attain enlightenment, but we are simply sitting to calm ourselves so that we might better receive the Dharma, hear the Dharma. Our everyday life is so hectic and fast-paced and busy, we need a little bit of quiet time, tranquility. We find it hard to focus on listening to a message, and so by sitting first, we're able to settle ourselves, calm ourselves, and open our hearts and minds to receive the teachings. Once we learn how to receive the teachings in a meditation service, we find that we're able to receive the teachings even in our everyday life. We encounter teachers anywhere. It could be a driver. It could be a bartender. It could be your pet cat or dog that gives you a teaching relevant to your life. Thank you. We will begin with sitting meditation. Find yourself a comfortable place to sit, either in a chair or on the floor. On the floor, you may prefer to sit on a cushion with your legs crossed or folded beneath you. On a chair, sit without leaning back with your feet planted evenly and comfortably on the floor. Sit comfortably erect with shoulders back and your spine straight. Rock back and forth and then side to side to find your center. Your head should also be straight with your eyelids lowered but not closed. Focus on a point a few feet in front of you. Your face should be relaxed as you breathe quietly. Hands can be placed in several positions. In the classic mode, rest your left hand in your right hand with thumbs touching and comfortably laid against your abdomen. Or you can touch thumbs and forefingers together and rest them on your thighs with palms up. Another option may be to fold your hands on top of each other on your lap. The key is to find a position that is comfortable and that can be maintained in stillness during the meditation session. While sitting, try focusing on your breath, counting them to 10. Breathe in, one. Breathe out, two. Breathe in, three and so forth. You may find distractions such as the sounds around you or your own thoughts. If that happens, observe them, acknowledge them, and then let them go. Begin counting your breaths again from one. We will begin and end each session at the sound of a bell. At the end of this first session, you will be asked to place your hands together in gasho and bow. 
Gasho means putting your hands together and bowing in an expression of gratitude. You may choose to intone the words Namo Amidabutsu as you gasho. We will begin our first seated meditation session at the sound of the bell.
Please put your hands together in gasho and bow. Namo Amida Butz, Namo Amida Butz, Namo Amida Butz, Namo Amida Butz, Namo Amida Butz. We will begin sutra chanting. Sutra chanting is actually a portion of a sutra that we will chant. Most sutras are far too long to be able to chant in one sitting. So for us, we're usually chanting a verse out of a longer narrative or prose. And that's why each line consists of perhaps four or five or seven characters. When we chant, we read from left to right, just like in English, and we move down the first column, and then we move to the second column, and so on. Open circles represent bells for the chant leader to ring. So we always begin a sutra chant with two bells. Whenever we change a section, we use one bell to kind of signal that we're changing from one section to another. And then when you end a sutra chant, you always end with three bells. Each syllable here is written in Romanized characters, English characters, and each syllable here represents a kanji, a Chinese character, and it's written phonetically. It's the sound of the character. The vowels have the same pronunciation independent of location or their neighbor. So this is different from English. And the vowel sounds, uh, I've been told, resemble those in Spanish. So we have A, E, I, O, and U. And they're pronounced A, E, E, O, and U. And then you'll see italicized lines. Those are leader lines that I chant alone. And you will also see underlines under some of the characters. And that means that rather than each character getting a single beat, an underlined character will get a beat and a half. And to kind of make up that little extra time, the next character in line will only get a half beat. And what you do is you don't really concern yourself too much about the meaning of what's being chanted. This isn't flashcards. We're not trying to learn something. This is a ritual. And so we chant together as a feeling of oneness. Don't worry too much about how you're doing. Be aware and mindful of each character. Uh, this is a form of meditation uh, rather than silent meditation. We're meditating through sound. So, you know, you see the character, you say it, you forget about it, you move on, and you say the next character. And over time, it becomes effortless, and you'll begin to memorize it without realizing it. Today, we're going to chant the Shoshinge on page 63. This is the Gyofu style. It is more elaborate, more melodic. Some people love it. Some people maybe don't love it. It's a little harder, but it's more melodic. It has more of a rhythm. So in that sense, it's more enjoyable to chant. It has more dynamic range. It's more active. And here we have the musical lines when necessary. So whenever we change a section, we'll put up the new melody if necessary. The Shoshinge was written by Shinran Shonin, the founder of the Pure Land Jodo Shinshu tradition in Japan in the 11 and 1200s. This is his kind of magnum opus. It's 60 couplets, 120 lines of seven characters each. So again, a giveaway that you are chanting a verse or poem. And it comes kind of in different sections. He begins by kind of explaining the basic teachings of the Pure Land Way. And then he talks about the seven Pure Land Masters. And then he closes uh, with saying, take refuge in the great teachers of the past. And so we chant that from page 63 all the way to page 68. And then we jump 
to the Nembutsu Wasans. Also, uh, these are poems that were written in Japanese. So everything we've chanted so far has been in either Pali or Chinese kanji. Now we're going to actually chant in Japanese. Shinran wrote these in the vernacular for the Japanese people so they could read it and understand it. So this is a very poetic explanation of his religious depth and spiritual consciousness. And there's leader lines, and we go all the way from page 76 to page 81. And again, we close with the koku, but the melody's a little bit different. And if you can read music, you're in good shape. This is a little bit more involved, but it's a very meaningful. And then another example of melody is on page 69, Shoshinge and Sofu style. In general, every fourth line goes down. And then there's also a Zendo portion that becomes more melodic in both the Gyofu and the Sofu style. Uh, that's on page 71, the third measure. Zendo, Dokyumyo, Bushoi, Koai, Josanyo, Gyaku, Aku. But just listen along. Don't worry about perfect pitch. And again, we come to the end on page 72. And again, jump to the Wasans on page 76. And all of our chanting, except I think for the Mita Sutra, is all in English. We have English translations, either in verse or prose or sometimes both. But you really need a commentary or a teacher to understand it because it's very uh, non-literal. It's very symbolic. It's poetry. And it helps to have somebody kind of explain the metaphors and the analogies. So we will begin our chant now.
Please join me in Gasho. Namandouts, 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 Namandouts. Make a wish and blow out the candle. Siddhartha Gautama lived the life of a sheltered and pampered royal. He was a prince in line for his father's crown. 
One day he ventured out beyond the castle walls, and for the first time he saw the realities of life, growing old, becoming sick, and dying. For the first time, he realized that his royal lineage would not protect him from these events. During that same adventure outside the castle, he met a monk. This monk was radiant and unconcerned about the future. He seemed to have found a way of living beyond the extremes of life and death. This story is called The Four Gates. It is this last gate with the monk that awakened a latent desire within Prince Siddhartha. It was a wish to seek a life of spiritual meaning rather than one of materialism. Soon after this encounter, at age 29, Siddhartha cut his hair, removed his jewelry, donned the saffron robes of an ascetic, and left the castle in search of a teacher. After six years of continuous practice, Siddhartha realized enlightenment at age 35. He became known as the Buddha, someone who was awoken from the long dark night of delusion and suffering. For the next 45 years until his death at 80, the Buddha taught others and the Sangha grew to perhaps 10,000 monks. This is a condensed biography of the Buddha. However, it only tells half the story. There are actually two enlightenment events in the Buddha's life. The first one under the Bodhi tree at 35 and the second one under the twin Sala trees at age 80. It seems these two events have been merged into one. I would like to discuss the Buddha's enlightenment as occurring in two parts with different qualities. This is called the two Nirvana theory. We celebrate two separate holidays for these two separate events. The first is called Bodhi Day, celebrated on December 8th, and the second is called Nirvana Day, celebrated on February 15th. The names of these two holidays also add to the confusion. It might be more accurate to refer to them as Nirvana Day and Pari Nirvana Day. Nirvana Day celebrates the Buddha's initial enlightenment, and Pari Nirvana Day celebrates the Buddha's complete enlightenment just prior to his death. This two-fold structure of enlightenment can also be seen in the 48 vows of the larger sutra. There are 48 vows, and they all share the same basic structure. Basically, the Buddha says, If when I attain Buddhahood, if X, Y, and Z doesn't happen, then may I not attain perfect enlightenment. So in each vow, he talks about enlightenment in two stages. After I attain initial awakening, if all beings who hear my name do not become awakened, then I will not attain perfect enlightenment. This initial enlightenment is called enlightenment with remainder, while complete enlightenment is called enlightenment without remainder. What is this remainder? It is the remainder of clinging. While the self still exists, clinging still exists, even for the Buddha. In other words, the triple fires of ignorance, greed, and anger have been extinguished, but the fuel is still there. It still remains. This fuel and fire is represented metaphorically as the demon Mara. Scholar Hajime Nakamura has found that, quote, certain ancient texts say that Gautama was assailed by the temptations of Mara after his initial enlightenment, but later Buddhists, having deified Gautama, placed the subjugation of Mara before enlightenment to give his biography more drama. Mara's continued activities can also be seen in a couplet from the Sambutsuge. If you go to stanza number six, the first two lines, we chant Mu Myo Yokunu, Se Son Yomu. And this often gets translated as 
ignorance, greed, and anger in the world-honored one does not last long. So rather than saying it no longer exists, they use the phrase, does not last. So this is kind of telling. The Buddha may still have moments of ignorance, greed, and anger, but what makes him a Buddha after realizing initial enlightenment is that they no longer last long. He sees them, and then he lets them go. So it's not that they vanished, but they no longer have an effect on him. In other words, while Mara's attacks still continue, their effects no longer last. The fuel exists, but the fire does not. Nakamara concurs, stating that, quote, people of that time regarded Mara's temptations as continuing even after the initial enlightenment. I consider this to be of great importance. The human being named Gotama did not, upon enlightenment, become a completely different kind of human being, a perfect being impervious to harm. Even after becoming a Buddha, he still possessed weaknesses and could be pursued and tempted by Mara, end quote. We often hear that nirvana means blowing out the fire. This is actually a metaphor that has been interpreted too literally. In ancient India, it was understood that even after a fire has been blown out, a latent fire still exists due to the remaining fuel of the candle. Our fuel also still exists until we die. So the best we can do in the here and now is make a wish and blow out the candle while still smoldering. Thank you very much. Namo Amidabhats, Namo Amidabhats, Namo Amidabhats. Please join me in Gasho. Namo Amidabhats, Namo Amidabhats, Namo Amidabhats, Namo Amidabhats, Namo Amidabhats. This concludes our podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and gained something from this segment. Please join us again. And thank you. For access to all the monthly minister messages, please visit the Orange County Buddhist Church website at ocbuddhist.org. And at the bottom of the homepage, you will see all the minister's messages sorted by date for you to read and think about and comment on. I hope to see you there. Happy reading. Today's program was presented by Reverend John Turner, Reverend Marvin Harada, and Reverend Ellen Crane. Executive Producers, Reverend Marvin Harada and Jim Scott. Produced by the Buddhist Education Center of Orange County Buddhist Church, Anaheim, California, USA. Directed and engineered by Reverend John Turner. Edited by Jim Scott. This program includes excerpts from Time Stood Still by Riley Lee, used with permission. This program is copyright 2020, Orange County Buddhist Church, Anaheim, California, USA. All rights reserved. We hope you'll join us for future podcasts, or please check out our Buddhist online program at everydaybuddhist.org. Our website is ocbuddhist.org. There are Dharma messages that you can read on the website, and the online program has a number of Buddhist education courses from introductory level to the study of Buddhist texts. If you've never attended one of our meditation services, we are located at 909 Southdale Avenue in Anaheim. Thank you for joining us today.